What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Welcome to the Howard Jarvis Podcast. My name is Susan Shelley. I am the Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, the most influential taxpayer advocacy group in California. And I am honored today to be joined, as always, by HJTA President John Kupal. Hi, John. How's everything in Sacramento <laughs> Everything in Sacramento? Today? Well, well, I got back from Southern California. We had a, a great event down there. But, uh, I mean, look, people are paying attention as to what's going on. Um, and as we as we speak now, uh, you know, the big items for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association are two proposed constitutional amendments that take direct aim at Proposition 13. So that is our big fight right now. It's in the newspapers. It's motivated people. So this is going to be if win, lose, a draw, it's going to be one heck of a fight. Well, as we're recording this today, we don't know whether ACA 1 and ACA 13 will pass the Senate. We wouldn't be surprised if they did. We're fighting very hard to make sure they don't. If they don't pass the Senate, they can still come back next year. They would miss the March ballot, but they would not miss the November ballot. So the legislature could still bring them back next year. This is an ongoing fight. And just to be clear, what has happened here is the legislature has decided that they are bigger than Prop 13. They don't like Prop 13 and they're coming after Prop 13. So ACA 1 is a direct amendment of the Constitution, changing Prop 13 and taking away the two-thirds vote requirement for local taxes for a specific purpose. It just takes it away. It it changes it to 55% instead of 66.67% to pass local taxes. And it applies not to everything, just to quote infrastructure, which is everything. There's nothing the government does that couldn't be defined as infrastructure. So all these different transit agencies, all these special districts for water and sewer and anything that anything that anybody wants to do where they declare, well, we can't do it without a tax increase. You want clean water, don't you? You want fixed streets. You want this. You want that. We can't do it without a tax increase. They put it on the ballot and that'll pass with 55 percent. You know, one of the points uh, that uh, you, you've made repeatedly is that infrastructure could be defined extremely broadly. But if you look at the language, language of ACA1, when they list those things, they say, including but not limited to yada, 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 yada. And, right. when, they, and when you see that language, including but not limited to, Katie, bar the door, because that, as you've argued, Susan, that includes anything. Exactly. And one of the things that I thought was particularly telling, we always talk about what have they done with the money they already collected? Well, in ACA1, they did some late amendments and they put in so-called protections. So the money can't be used this way and it can't be used that way. Well, one of the things they put in is that the officials on the governing body the city council, the county supervisor, the board of whatever the special district is, the people who vote to put the tax on the ballot are not allowed to own companies that bid on the business. Oh, really? Has that been going on? 
Is that where our money has gone, that people are voting for these contracts and awarding them to themselves? Well, now they're not going to do that anymore. Oh, really? This is just shocking. And there were other things that were similar to that. For instance, they're not allowed to put another tax on the ballot for the same thing if they haven't spent all the money they already taxed you for for the last time they asked you on the same thing. Oh, really? Well, why don't they just confess? <laughs> they just go into the booth and confess all to us. Yeah, and there's a provision that, that's obscure. It's at the end of the measure that says, and the governing body, the members of the governing body also cannot commit murder. So, <laughs> well, it's good to know. I know they have all these restrictions. It's good you to know because they certainly come after us for telling everybody what's really going on in Sacramento. So that's ACA one. It it gets rid of your two thirds vote. It applies to infrastructure and also affordable housing. So all these programs that they want to put in place, supposedly for homeless housing, that have been wasting your money, they can waste it with a lower vote threshold to raise your taxes for it. And the thing, this if this does make it on the ballot, the point we really need to hit really hard is that it's not just a direct attack on Prop 13. I mean, that is bad enough. It also goes after the one provision of the California Constitution that has been there for 140 years that says local bonded indebtedness must achieve a two-thirds vote of the local electorate. Why, do, why is that provision there? Local bonds are repaid only by property owners, not not the general population. That is why the, that two-thirds vote has been in the California Constitution, and similar provisions have been in the constitutions of many other states. They amend that to say that if it's a local bond secured only by property, uh, repaid only by property owners, um, that can be approved with 55%. That is a radical departure from uh, California history. And I think that's a real weak spot they have. You know, even even for someone who may not really like Prop 13, I don't know how many people don't like Prop 13, but look, if you're a homeowner, you don't have to be a, a raging conservative to say, wait a minute, I'm being confronted with all these local bonds uh, that only us homeowners have to pay that's not right so that's that's another point we have to hit really hard if this thing makes it on the ballot and some of these other things they've been saying in their in their talking points in favor of ACA1 well we're just making everything equal with school bonds we already do this for school bonds and we're just leveling it out so everything else is the same doesn't that sound equitable well here's the thing School bonds are bonds. That's for buildings. And there are particular things in there about how they have to tell you what they're going to spend it on. And there's an oversight committee and all the rest. This is not just bonds for buildings. This is any tax and any bond and anything else they want to put on the ballot for any reason. So if the transit agencies are running themselves into the ground because of mismanagement and fraud and everything else that's going on with your transit dollars... We would have to bail them out with a tax increase. A transit agency could put a tax on the ballot and say, well, this will be wonderful. We're going to give you everything that we already promised, but we didn't deliver. But this time we mean it. We're going to give it to you. Here's it's just pennies. It's just the cost of a latte a week. They'll find some way to describe it so it doesn't sound like much. But it's a tax increase to bail out the transit agencies. So this is not the same as school bonds. This is all taxes, parcel taxes, sales taxes, utility taxes, all 
taxes and bonds, 55% instead of two-thirds. Yeah, uh, pretty bad. You know, again, I think they've made a pretty significant uh, political mis- miscalculation on this. Uh, unlike Proposition, uh, unlike ACA 13, this, as you have said, this repeals that provision of Proposition 13. And and they keep on saying, well, we, we, need, we need to give the voters a choice on this. Um, you know, voters have already made a choice on protecting Prop 13 and the two-thirds vote repeatedly, uh, including with Prop 218 that we sponsored back in 1996 and other requirements more recently in, in, uh, in 2020. And, of course, the voters rejected split roll, which was another attack on Proposition 13, and that would have severed out uh, – business properties from the protections of Prop 13. And I I look at that and the fact that they lost that election. We won. Prop 13 extends to all property owners. We have a unified tax rule in California that's just good tax policy. It's good public policy. We have a unified role. They put that on the ballot in an election cycle where all the factors were in their favor. I mean, a high voter turnout, everything else. And they still lost, and that didn't even go against homeowners. That was targeted to businesses. I don't know what makes them think that taking on Prop 13 directly in a manner that directly impacts homeowners in a very negative way, what makes them think they can win. Uh, Obviously, we're not going to rest around laurels. We will fight this tooth and nail. But I'm not sure that they've, they've done the political calculation the right way. Well, they seem to be under the impression that the two-thirds vote protection is not really part of Prop 13, but it's a core part of Prop 13. It's a central, important taxpayer protection in Prop 13 because Howard Jarvis knew that if you cut the property tax rate, these people in government would look for a way to go around it by raising all your other taxes. So there's a two-thirds vote requirement for local taxes, which makes perfect sense. It's not that you can't raise local taxes, but you have to make the case. And you have to make the case strong enough so that you convince two-thirds of the voters that that's necessary and worthwhile and will be wisely spent. Well, we can't have that, can we? So 55% is what they want to change everything to. And they are going after that two-thirds vote protection in more ways than one. So let's talk about the, the loophole that was created. This is so sinister. The state Supreme Court decided in 2017 didn't really decide, but suggested with mushy language that perhaps if a tax increase was put on the ballot by a citizen's initiative instead of a vote of the city council or whatever governing board, if a citizen's initiative put a tax increase on the ballot, why that two-thirds didn't apply, it would only need a simple majority. Well, this is ridiculous because how many citizens do you know who go stand with a clipboard to raise their own taxes? Not too many. Who stands with a clipboard? The people who will get the money. So the special interests are the citizens that put these tax increases on the ballot. This has been upheld in the appellate courts, although we still think it's legally very sketchy. But we have yeah. we have backed the Taxpayer Protection and Government Accountability Act, which is an initiative, got 1.3 million signatures. It is on the ballot in November 2024. It closes that loophole. And it says, no, we really mean it. Citizens initiative, governing body vote, however it gets on the ballot special local taxes for a particular purpose must get a two-thirds vote. And to stop that from passing, 
because it's polling very well, as you would expect. It's a taxpayer protection, and it's polling very well. To stop that from passing, the legislature has cooked up a diabolical scheme that is right out of a James Bond villain. (laughs) (laughs) Right out of the dialogue of a James Bond villain. What they're doing is they're changing the rules for passing constitutional amendments in a way that only applies to this one. Explain what's going on. This is ACA 13. Yeah, this is uh, this is very diabolical. It's a flanking movement on Proposition 13. They are so scared of the Taxpayer Protection Act, which in addition to addresses addressing this one court-created ambiguity, does other things that the the uh, public sector labor organizations and local governments do not like. For example, a requirement that if it is a tax increase, it must say so in the ballot label. I mean, shocking, 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 that, that, shocking that, that, transparency that, that, that there would be truth in advertising as it relates to tax I- increases. So uh, for for years and for the beginning of California's history, passing a constitutional amendment requires a simple majority vote. But as you say, Susan, they carve out this one one thing that would target something that's already qualified for the ballot. And if that doesn't look like dirty pool, well, of course it does. They've already had a very narrow exception to make it harder to pass something that is is already appearing in the November ballot. And it would it would require that any ballot measure, any proposed constitutional main, amendment that increased um, or in, in the case of uh, what we're trying to do, restore a two-thirds vote, that it would have to pass itself by a two-thirds vote. In other words, the the Constitution of the Taxpayer Protection Act would have to pass by a two-thirds vote, not the simple majority, which has been for every uh, initiative uh, since the history of California. Um, and that's a very difficult burden to make. Prop 13 itself got very close to two-thirds, but didn't. And surprisingly, or not surprisingly, as I we mentioned earlier, the original Constitution of California had a requirement that bond measures have to pass by a two-thirds vote. Well, if ACA 13 had been the law, then we never would have had a California Constitution. We never would have had Prop 13 because very few things pass by a two-thirds margin. So this is a very sneaky attack. It doesn't directly uh, address the language of Proposition 13, but what it does, it's a poison pill to destroy a taxpayer protection measure that is already qualified for the ballot, the purpose of which is to restore the protections of Prop 13. So for these people to dissemble and say, oh, it's really not about Prop 13, Everybody knows that's a lie. Fortunately, all the editorial support has reveals this. Everybody knows it. It's it, it's like it reminds me of the dead parrot joke. You know, the, 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 <laughs> the, the, my, it's not that. I mean, they're standing there looking you straight in the face and telling you that the parrot is not dead and the parrot is dead. You know, I uh, I think most I hope most people listening to this podcast get the, gets the reference. Uh, all you have to do is Google dead parrot uh, skit and and it's hilarious. But it's it's people who look you straight in the face 
and lie to you. They know they know they're lying. You know they're lying, and they know that you know that they're lying. And they do it anyway. And it's it's we see this in politics a lot, and it's pretty pretty frustrating, but I don't think they get away with it. Well, I hope that ACA 13 is soon pining for the fjords <laughs> yeah. while we're on that subject. Pining for the fjords. It's he's not just, dead. He's just yeah. resting. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that thing just dies. Yeah. Well, there's something else in it. While we're, te- while we're speaking about the sneakiness of undercutting the two-thirds vote, there's something else in it that people probably haven't noticed, and that is it allows the local governments to seek advisory votes from their voters. Now, what in the world is that about? Why would the government seek the advice of voters? Well, here's what that's about. There's something called an A-B scheme. We call it a scheme. They don't, but we call it the A-B scheme, where there's a general tax on the ballot, can be used for any purpose. Those pass with a simple majority. And then there's a B measure right next to it that says, if A measure passes, Do you advise us to spend it on fill in the blank, something tremendously necessary and popular? It's advisory. They can completely ignore it. And they do. So what's the purpose? The purpose is to make you think that the general tax will be spent on this specific thing and to get around the two thirds vote that it would need if they were required to spend it on the specific thing. So the Taxpayer Protection Act puts a stop to these phony advisory votes and ACA 13 sanctimoniously declares, oh, well, you know, we want to allow our governments to seek the advice of voters. It's so preposterous what they're doing. They just are looking for ways to trick you. And they want to institutionalize and constitutionalize all this trickery. And we can't stand for it. We can't stand for it. Call your senators, even though the session may be over by the time you hear this. Call your senators, call your assembly people, put their phone numbers on the refrigerator in red ink and remember to call them and say, what have you done today to raise my taxes? Because if you're doing anything to raise my taxes, I'm voting for somebody else next time. Enough with this. We have to stand up to it and we can't allow them to use this trickery and this double talk to cheat the voters out of their own money because that's what's happening here you know one of the things you know for our our uh, legislative advocate uh, scott kaufman who has to go into many of these hearings uh, as the only person arguing for taxpayers against a conga line of special interests all the local government associations california league of cities special districts association California State Association of Counties, and then the alphabet soup of public sector unions, CTA, SEIU, all of them, all of them. And quite frequently, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is the only uh, organization fighting these. Now, in these battles, we do have some fantastic allies, uh, you know, including the California Taxpayers Association and uh, the California Business Roundtable. I do believe that brings a lot of additional firepower. And I think the one thing I'm taking away from this is even if we do not prevail in this battle, I have seen a lot of good work done by this broad coalition against this very socialist mindset that seems to be so prevalent in California right now. And, uh, it's my hope that this broad coalition can, can move forward and and fight these things, um, at the ballot box. But, um, frequently we're the only ones 
And I think for all of us who are in taxpayer advocacy and for the people listening to this podcast who, who throw up their hands and go, what's the point? We're getting, we're getting rolled. We, you know, what's the, what's the point of calling in? You know, they're not going to listen to me. I tried to call in and I couldn't get through to the hearing. Well, the reason you couldn't get into the hearing in these legislative hearing is because so many people were calling in to tell these people to stop doing what they were doing. So this is why you have to keep the pressure on and you have to remain engaged and willing to fight um, because we can't give up. I mean, there was a this big discussion at an event I was at last night with a lot of business people and taxpayers, and we came away, you know, realizing that a lot of, you know, everybody in the room was on our side. And if you live in Sacramento, you're, you go into these situations where everybody is against you. So I think take, I would, I would just suggest everybody take heart in knowing that we're on the right, we're on the side of angels. We stand against collectivism and socialism we protect property rights. We advocate for lower taxes. These are common sense things. How do we know they're common sense things? Because those states, those states that have lower taxes, lower regulations, better business climate, they're getting huge population shifts out of the more progressive states. We see it. It's in the data. You can't, you can't disguise this. So what that tells us is it's worth staying here with fighting for and protecting the things that we have. And, and I know it's hard to, uh, to keep fighting, but, uh, look, this is a beautiful state and a lot of us think it's still recoverable. So stay in the fight and stay informed. And one of the things you can do is join the Howard Jarvis taxpayers association. We really encourage everybody to go to www.hjta.org. Join us. We've got, we're in Sony battles right now. And we are the go-to source for your information on what's going on politically and the things that are going on that impact you as a taxpayer and property owner. Absolutely. And I don't know if everybody realizes how much great work the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association does, also through its foundation, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Foundation, which is a fully qualified 501c3. If you're looking for something to do with a year-end donation that's tax deductible, that would be a wonderful choice because the foundation pays for all of our legal work. And our legal work includes going to court to fight to protect your rights on these tax issues because governments are rolling over them and daring everybody to go to court. It's hard to go to court as an individual. It's very expensive. So who's going to do that for you? We're going to do that for you. So the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Foundation enforces Prop 13, goes to court. We're in court right now fighting against this Measure ULA so-called mansion tax, which is really a tax on commercial property and every kind of every kind of apartment building and business property. Anything over $5 million is hit with this transfer tax in the city of Los Angeles of 4% between 5 million and 10 million, 5.5% above 10 million, which is enormous and unconstitutional because Proposition 13 banned transfer taxes of this type for a special. The court said, well, you can still have you can still have the ban if it's only for a special purpose. But then this was a special purpose tax that was a transfer tax. We think it's unconstitutional. We're in court fighting to get that invalidated. So we, we, that's, yeah. that's an important battle. It, it really is, and this, this this again points out the importance of you know not a not just being 
strong taxpayer advocates in the public arena or in the legislature, but in the courts, because I, you know, we've argued for a long time. If you're if you're in taxpayer advocacy, and you don't have the legal firepower to back it up, uh, then then you you're going into a battle with one hand tied behind your back. And Howard Jarvis knew this. Within days after the passage of Proposition 13, there was a massive lawsuit filed to invalidate it, and that it's a famous case, uh, Amador Joint Union High School District. And it, it, it was the, it was the first case where they tried to, uh, invalidate Prop 13. And, uh, fortunately it sustained, it was sustained, but we've had to fight. We've had to go to multiple courts of appeal here in California. And Prop 13 was also the subject of an equal protection challenge on two different occasions. That case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and um, I went to the uh, uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, to watch the hearing. We we hired counsel to expert counsel who had a lot of experience before the uh, Supreme Court to argue the case, and they did an outstanding job. and We and we survived an equal protection challenge uh, against Prop 13. So. Having the legal capability is something that Howard Jarvis himself knew was absolutely necessary if we're going to protect taxpayer rights here in the state of California. And there are so many little local cases that our lawyers fight over pension obligation bonds that have to go to the voters, but the local government doesn't think they should, but they do have to go before the voters. (laughs) So we're in court on issues like that, protecting you in your local government. Yeah, we had another little victory. I mean, a lot of the victories that we get, you never hear about. Case in point, we saw a a very small city violating the law, uh, and I think they were doing it kind of out of ignorance. Uh, so we wrote them a letter saying, "We think you're, we think you've screwed this up," and they wrote back and said, "You know, I we think you're right. We're gonna we're gonna institute, <laughs> we're gonna institute a rebate. This is something we never had to file a lawsuit, but because of the Jarvis brand, local governments, local governments know that that we have this litigation capacity and we are experts in California public finance. And look, we don't go out of our way to sue people, uh, you, you know, if they're willing, willing to do the right thing. Our experience, Susan, has always been it's the large cities that tell us you know, we'll go ahead and sue us. A lot of the smaller communities are just, you know, with, with small local boards of a fire district or small city council, oftentimes they're either hoodwinked by their consultants or their city attorney, or but they want to do the right thing. And many times we have prevailed upon them to change their course of action. Uh, another example is when sometimes the city uh, sends out a blurb on saying that we need this tax and they did did so on their, their website well they're not supposed to do that because that's using taxpayer dollars for political advocacy you know we could go in and sue the pants off them you know and get attorney's fees but uh, oftentimes we we write a letter or an email and say you know you can't do that you can't use e- even a website to advocate for something that's going to be on the ballot and many times they go oh my gosh i'm sorry we'll we'll, we'll correct it a lot of times they they say you know, you guys can compound sand, but you know, it, the, the the reality is having this legal expertise to represent taxpayers, whether it involves direct litigation or other legal issues is, is a very important tool we have. 
It absolutely is. Because if you've ever been in a situation like this and you talk to a lawyer and you find out how much it's going to cost you to stand up for your rights, it, it it's hard to do it. You don't want to lose your house. And then you might lose the case anyway, because the courts have a, a, a particularly anti-taxpayer bent in many cases. So it it's frustrating. Well, that's why we're here. So join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, hjta.org. Donate to the foundation if you are so inclined. And donate to Howard Jarvis's Taxpayers Association. Support all the great lobbying work that we do and everything that this great organization does for the people of California because there aren't enough people doing it. So you've got us, hjta.org. We are here for you. Whether you support us or not, we are here fighting for you. One of the things we have seen is that so many people in government are now inclined to just ignore the Constitution and roll right through it and do whatever they want and dare people to sue them. There was a there was a law that was passed uh, during the pandemic that said doctors could lose their license in California if they say the wrong thing to their patients, something that doesn't align with what the government is saying. And that was challenged in court. And there was a significant victory in the process of that trial. And all of a sudden, the legislature has passed a bill to repeal that law very quietly. They don't want to talk about it, but they are repealing that law. And another situation where that's happening is the legislature has just passed Senate Bill 2, which is trying to override the Supreme Court's decision regarding carrying a handgun. Uh, The New York Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, I think it is. That's from memory. I could be wrong. And SB 2 tries to change the California concealed carry law to impose more restrictions on who can get a permit, which was the exact reverse of what the Supreme Court said. So it hasn't even been signed by the governor yet. And already there's a lawsuit to stop it from four or five different foundations that represent gun owners and Second Amendment rights. So what do we do about this where we have government officials who knowingly violate the Constitution and just dare people as we're seeing with ACA 1 and ACA 13, they're just like trying to roll us on these things. What do we do about people who just don't understand the concept of constitutional rights? Well, I think the important thing is to vote because whether it is the in state government or the federal government, you look at the appointment process um, for the judiciary. And in California, the governor appoints all the Superior Court, Court of Appeal, and Supreme Court justices. It used to be when Proposition 13 was on the ballot, we had a fairly good mix of conservative, I would I wouldn't say conservatives. I would say strict constructionists or constitutionalists versus those judges who believe that the Constitution is malleable and can be changed according to the according uh, according to um, present values or something like that. Look, we we have mechanisms for changing the Constitution. If you're going to change the Constitution, change the Constitution. Um, you know, and, and to his credit, Gavin Newsom proposed kind of foolishly a change in the U.S. Constitution to weaken the Second Amendment. Now, that has about as much chance as a snowball in a very warm place. And and so that's not going to go anywhere, but at least he's being intellectually honest about the process. 
What's not intellectually honest is, was it the governor of New Mexico who basically said she was going to override the Second Amendment? Yes, and, she, and, suspended and, she suspended it. She declared that gun violence was a public health emergency. And this should concern everybody. We laugh, but it should concern everybody. To declare an emergency and then suspend a fundamental constitutional right. Yeah. That's just <laughs> not, that's not, that's not what they're allowed to do. Yes. The, the, what's so bizarre about these restrictions on ammo sales, restriction on gun sales, restrictions on who, when, and why, and how someone can carry a concealed weapon, making it harder and harder. The reality is here in California, virtually no murders are committed by those who have, who have a valid concealed weapon permit, I believe it's less than 0.005%. I think there may have been one person who had a concealed weapon permit who, who uh, abused that. But for though I, I'll go ahead and say it for those of us who have it, it's, it, it gets harder and harder every year to, 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 um, to renew it. They're going to make it more expensive. Um, and, but, but, uh, I get it. You know, we always advocate that if you if you're going to own a firearm, be trained on it, be smart, and the 99% of the people are who who aren't who aren't smart and who aren't careful are criminals. Let's not talk about gun control. Can we please talk about criminal control? You know, at the same time, they're going after law-abiding people. They're passing laws to let people out. Of, violent felons out of jail this makes no sense this makes no sense but it is again a a evidence of terminal progressivism in the state of california it's very puzzling they they spend a lot of money on prisons they've just approved in the legislature another huge contract increase for the prison guards union and it's just kind of puzzling that they're letting everybody out and they're paying the prison guards even more i don't what does know. that sound like what does that sound uh, like? It sounds like so, politics. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like a school funding, more and more school, like school funding, funding. And, yes. and reduced enrollment. Reduced I mean, enrollment. Students aren't coming back. There's fraudulent attendance data, you know, and yet, oh, <laughs> we need more money. Uh, you know, uh, Art Laffer, the economist I just heard, uh, said, you know, if you reward failure, you're going to get more failure. Yes, and. The, really, the, the budgeting and the financing of all of our higher education is something that everyone should be looking at. We pay the yeah. administrators, the administrators and the staff, a lot of money. I don't know if we need all those administrators. And I just saw that the Cal State system is raising tuition. And, yeah. and it, interestingly, there was a statistic was like, don't worry about it because it doesn't affect the 60% of students who are having their tuition paid by government financial aid. That was rather shocking to me. 60% of the Cal State students are covered by government aid and pay no tuition. So the increase in tuition costs is borne by the 40% who are not on financial aid. And that that percentage just really floored me. I had no idea it was that high. It's very high. And when the inevitable recession hits California and it will hit California harder than it hits, hits other states. But there are going to be some, there's going to be much pulling of hair and gnashing of teeth over setting priorities. You know, they're also talking about moving toward a single payer health plan and providing uh, uh, medical benefits to all undocumented individuals. And I, how are you going to pay for that? 
how are you going to pay for that? It's, uh, I think that was already passed in last year's budget, wasn't it? And it takes effect next year. Uh, I, I think they want to expand it to uh, all of them, not just uh, over 65. I think uh, they did that already. Okay, I'll have maybe, to check, but I think they did that already, maybe, and it just maybe. hasn't taken effect yet. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I know that they are moving toward universal health care, and that was another bill, but I don't know whether it's going – I mean, for everybody, not just undocumented, but for everybody. It, it got amended down or substituted into a bill where the state of California will ask the federal government if we can have permission to do that, yeah. to have single payer, because you need permission from Medicaid, Medicare to put everybody on the same health care. So all they're going to do is ask the federal government. It's can, completely unworkable. No, can they require, do that with, yeah, can they do that with an executive order? Because if they need an act of Congress, they can't do that. But. I think I think it's permission of HHS. Oh, God. I, I don't know. I don't think anybody's tried to do this yet. So we'll all find out together. But it's crazy because it here's is. what it would do. Suppose we had this single payer health care in California. Everyone who has private health care would lose it. A hundred percent. You would lose it. If you had union health care benefits, you would lose them. If you have Medicare, you would lose it. If, if you have Medicaid, you would lose it. Everybody loses everything. And then we have a brand new CalCare and everybody's on it. Everybody is on it. Regardless of what benefits you used to have, you're going to lose all of that and you're going to be on CalCare, which is the same healthcare program that the undocumented immigrants who just got here yesterday will be on. Yeah. And you who worked under, under a union contract and gave up wage gains and, and wanted to keep the health benefits through your retirement, and you've kept that, you lose that, and you're on the same program with people who just came over the border. How is that fair? How is anybody going to go along with that? And then there's an enormous tax increase that comes with it because nothing is free. You can right. say that health care is a human right, but health care is a service, and somebody's got to pay for it. So there will be a huge payroll tax. So how does that affect job creation? How does that affect everything else? It's just a crazy proposal. It, it is crazy. I remember when they floated that. I mean, that, that, that comes up every year, of, it, it, and it was pegged, I believe, at $200 billion, something that exceeded exceeded the, the budget at the time, yes. the, gen, the general fund budget, that and so, so when there is a listing of proposed tax increases, that's one of them, and it dwarfs all the other proposed tax increases. Some of which are very big, but none of them are that big. I mean, it's it's a massive. Uh, it would be a massive transference of wealth from the productive individuals of California into a black hole pain pain and misery is where to go. So this has been really heavily pushed by the California Nurses Association. Why do they want this? Uh, I think they see themselves as beneficiaries because they're the same ones who are pushing for the much higher minimum wage for healthcare uh, workers, you know, and they say we, we, you know, we need the money to take care of patients. It's all about the patients. No, it's not. No, it's not. The, 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 uh, California Nurses Association is one of the more radical public sector labor organizations in California. Uh, they are politically astute, and they were a big driver behind the failure of Arnold Schwarzenegger to get many of his um, more free market proposals through. And unfortunately, when he when he lost those, he he joined the other side. But um, um, they're very powerful. 
And because, you know, everybody thinks of nurses. It's like fire firefighters and nurses. How could you be against nurses and firefighters? Well, you know, uh, we, we're, we're not against the rank and file, but the, the labor organizations uh, that purport to represent them, which they sometimes often do not do, are very, very powerful. Well, it's pretty frustrating, but I don't really see how many of these incumbent lawmakers can run for re-election on, I'm taking away your health insurance and I'm killing Prop 13. Is that a winning ticket? I I don't think that's a slogan they can run on. But we'll see, won't we? Because we'll be sure to call it to everybody's attention. Right. Everybody who votes against Proposition 13 in this legislature will be hearing from us and their constituents. That is not going to go unnoticed. So we should talk a little bit about what we have on the ballot in November of 2024 and what we're trying to put on the ballot in November of 2024. We have already the Taxpayer Protection and Government Accountability Act, which, as we said earlier, restores that two-thirds protection, overrides that silly court decision that said the Constitution doesn't apply if citizens raise taxes. We're going to get rid of that. And it also requires a vote of the electorate on state taxes. So in addition to a state tax having to get two thirds in each house, it would have to go on the ballot for you to vote on, which I think is a really important protection because they're so reckless with your money in Sacramento and it gets pretty frustrating. So there should be some checks and balances in this state and the voters are the best check and the best balance on all of it. And then also we have coming up the repeal the death tax initiative. We are collecting signatures right now for that. And we're doing something innovative here. We've made a one-page petition that you can download and print in your house. If you have a computer and a printer, you can print a legally valid petition right this minute and sign it, sign the declaration of circulator. You're your own circulator. You don't need a person at the supermarket with a clipboard. You are the person with the clipboard. You sign the petition and you are your own circulator. You fill it out, You send it back to the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. We need about a million signatures to get this on the November ballot, and we're off to a really strong start. Yes. Yeah. uh, Those petitions are coming here uh, into the Sacramento office, and uh, uh, I think we're going to break the back of our postal carrier. (laughs) (laughs) But I I suspect that they they like it too. But, uh, yeah, the petitions are – started immediately as soon as we we posted this online uh it it um uh it's gotten great response and, and again this is the whole purpose of this is to restore that one important taxpayer protection that prevented uh that prevented children and grandchildren from being taxed out of the homes of the properties bequeathed to them by their parents and grandparents. It used to be that you could keep the Prop 13 base and that allowed you to pay uh, a reasonable property tax. But because of because of Proposition 19, which was a sneak attack on Prop 13, um, that protection was taken away. So now, in addition to having to deal with the death of a parent, uh, many people are getting these massive property tax bills on property they thought they would be able to afford to keep. And it's it's been a real shock to the system to so many people. And this is not some big corporate tax break. This is this is an this is a tax, an unfair tax on inherited property. And when we lost that protection, uh 
That turned out to be the largest property tax increase in the history of California. That's why we need to bring this this protection back. We absolutely do. And it affects regular people. It, it affects yeah. regular people who invested in real estate and maybe bought one rental home. And now that rental home is reassessed to market value on the day that it's transferred and the property taxes go way up. And now you can't afford to keep that tenant at the same rent because you have this huge new property tax bill. So what happens? Everything ends up sold. People end up evicted. This is true of small apartment buildings also because the protection that we lost included a certain amount for other property besides the principal residence. And that allowed people to keep a small business property like a duplex, like a small apartment building without a tax increase. And now it's all reassessed to market value and the taxes are unaffordable. And we could lose so much affordable housing as a result of these mom and pop landlord owned buildings being sold and pulled from the market. So this affects tenants, this affects communities, this affects small businesses like restaurants that are family owned and that the older generation passes, the younger generation inherits, all of a sudden this property is reassessed to current market value and the property taxes skyrocket. And these businesses that are just barely hanging on after the pandemic, boom, final nail. So we really have to reverse this. So what we're doing with repeal the death tax is putting back the old rules. That's all we're doing. And it is retroactive so that if you were reassessed for a parent-child transfer, you'll be able to get your original assessed base year value back again, as if that reassessment didn't happen. So once again, just go to repealthedeathtax.com, download the petition, fill it out right now and send it in. And you don't have to go wait for it in the mail. You don't have to go look for somebody with a clipboard. You can do it right in your house, repealthedeathtax.com. And I think that's going to do it for us today. I'm Susan Shelley, Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. For John Kupal, President of HJTA, thank you for being with us. And we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count.